Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast hosted by two brothers slash kind of comedians where they talk about comic books. Uh, I'm one of those two brothers, uh, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other one, Will Hines. I like how our tagline is never quite the same. I know. (laughs) Can you imagine if like Fantastic Four Comics every month was like the world's mostly great comic magazine and the next month it's like the world's, let's be honest, pretty good comic magazine or whatever. I I don't have it written down. I can't always remember exactly what we're saying. I think you and I also say it slightly different from each other. That's absolutely true. I was trying to make um, a joke for a while where it was like the only podcast in human history where brothers talk about something because there's that famous podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is like this juggernaut uh-huh. podcast of brothers talking about stuff. Oh, I always thought the joke was just that we were just two dudes there's also talking that, about something just where like it's just like, that's every podcast. Every podcast, right. Yeah. But then now we've kind of shied away from that to a more accurate, like two brothers talking about comic books, which there also are a lot of those, but there's are less there? of those. I mean, I, there, I, I, there's got to be. I mean, there's got to be, I assume as well. I don't know of any. Actually, I don't either. So maybe we might be the only <laughs> podcast where two brothers talk about comic books, uh, at least regularly. <laughs> there's for sure podcasts where like occasionally there's brothers on. We might be the only ones, yeah. But hosted by two brothers talking about comic books, there's a good chance. I mean, hey, guys, email us if there's another <laughs> podcast hosted by two brothers talking about comic books specifically. If it's You've a podcast be- where they talk about like, hot dogs but once mentioned comic books i kind of want to know about that too but i'm but that, that's that doesn't conflict with what i just said that's right we've got to be the only one where it's two brothers talking about comic books and called the milk sops right yeah i mean that's a, there's a good shot of that where there's also a third brother who's not on the podcast but we talk about him a lot we talk about him a lot he comes up a fair amount um so this is a mutants and mailbags episode kevin that's right every other week pretty much we talk about um we read emails and to make it more interesting to people who hate emails, who hate the idea of they hate, uh, they hate the idea of people writing us, mm-hmm. uh, we discussed the classic Chris Claremont X Men comics. Uh, we are up to issue one forty eight, so we've gone. What did it start with? Ninety eight or so? Ninety four. Ninety four. Woof! And really, one before that because we did Giant Size and then 94. and some annuals. So I mean, there's yeah, it's it. We're we've read a lot of uh, Chris Claremont comics for for. Two people who should have read it a long time ago. We have now made up for that, I think. We're making up for, we're doing well. We're like really even if filling we, in our comics education. Even if we stop yeah, we now. we talked to Chris Claremont. Yeah, no one cares about that. <laughs> I think that's pretty impressive. Even if I think we stopped reading now today, if we said this is it, no more Chris Claremont X-Men. And, and this is still before when we would, were reading comics, I think. Like reading new comics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think we're still a little bit before, at least for me, I started around Secret Wars. So until they go into a big portal, and that's like when Rogue joins, we're ways from that. That's when I started too, Secret Wars. So, yeah. Um, However, we did we did in our comics enthusiasm, we read a fair amount of back issues, like recent back issues, or at least mm-hmm. I did. Like we started reading Fantastic Four around the time of Secret Wars, but I immediately went back and read all the John Burns. Yeah, and you got them all. Yeah, and then and then Daredevil, I read, went back and read all the Frank Miller stuff. You were better about that. I was a kid, and I was just reading current you stuff and, child, then reading, yeah. and reading whatever you got. That's also why we had some Roger Stern, Spider-Mans, but not a lot. Like you've gotten had, we, some of the Hobgoblin stuff, but not you didn't have like a complete run of that. Correct, correct. But we, we, we had pretty good knowledge of basically early 80s 
marble. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, so whatever, whatever yeah, you were interested in, we're, that's right. I dominated our our what we had access to. I mean, at that time, I think I was getting Hulk. Not even yet. Like it's after Secret Wars, I'd eventually start getting Hulk and uh, Web of Spider Man. You you made your mark on Web of Spider Man and Marvel Team Up. Yeah, Marvel Team Up became Web, so right. it's sort of the same title because you were getting the other two Spider Man books already. Yeah, so it was my way to like also get more Spider Man comics. We were already uh, the, a team. The shortly after that, I think you stopped getting amazing and spectacular because they got bad, and I took over for it. But I don't remember when that happened. I don't remember that either. But Anyway, we are approaching the time when we actually started reading these things. That's kind of exciting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, what's the point? So today we're covering issues 148, 149, 150, and annual five. So, yes. So Kevin, what, so what did you think of these? We are now out of the John Byrne era. Yes. We're, we're into the immediate post-John Byrne era of X-Men. Um, this is Claremont with original new X-Men artist Dave Cockrum back in the fold. Yeah. Um, how did you I, feel about these? It was a lot more uneven than the burn stuff. The burn stuff was pretty consistently, at worst, very good and at times great. Okay. And I feel like there's parts of this that I did not enjoy. The annual, ah. I think, is kind of boring, but that's... I agree. Maybe, maybe I, agree. I just don't care about Archon as much as Chris Claremont. <laughs> I, I'm not into the annual, although I think a lot of that is just because I'm just not into annuals in general. Like, I'm rarely excited by an annual. I don't know. Like, I... Uh, uh, the, I'm into a good story, an oversized story, but I, I just don't care about like, like the ones he's been doing are sort of like all like magical realms. And I guess yeah, Marvel's like the, magic universe, I less care about. Yeah. It's basically like for the X-Men annuals, they journey to some supernatural place, beat up a bunch of people in creative ways and yeah. come back. Um, but you can right? certainly do an annual. I mean, like uh, the amazing Spider-Man's first annual is great. Sinister six. Yeah. Uh, the FF wedding annual is a lot of fun or even the uh, Atlantis one. Like when it's like a big adventure. Yeah. Still good. The Dr. Doom one. That's FF. That's annual great. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess if it's a good story, it's good. Uh, and I think about like the X-Men, I think it's an annual. It might've just been like a special, but like the, the trip to Asgard mm-hmm. um, that Art mm-hmm. Adams drew, I loved. And that's one of the few X-Men things I've read before this. Um, and I thought okay. it was so fun. Okay, yeah, you've refuted me. Annuals can be good. I, I yeah. relent. But this, but this annual is not that good. Uh, and also, like, so we get this like Caliban story, and Caliban is cool looking. I don't know. There's like a lot of the character stuff I don't like as much. When we get into the Magneto stuff, that's pretty good. Okay. What did you um, think? I I agree with you. It's uneven, but um, it's um, the strengths I really like. Like. We're like we say, we're getting into the era closer to when we actually read these comics as kids. And these issues are reminding me of what the X-Men felt like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. which makes sense because it was Claremont without Burn. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, urgent melodrama soap opera about emotions. Yes. Uh, long, big, big speech balloons with like tons of details of the logistics of a plan, which can be boring. But also when I was a kid that read to me as, Oh, this book is smarter than the other comic books. Like I kind of liked that there were big speech balloons in an X-Men book. My issues continue to be, and it's a problem of comic books in general, more than Chris Claremont is sort of these over the top emotional 
snap reactions, people being right, furious for two panels and walking yeah. away and then being madly in love the next panel or people being okay with certain things. It's like, this is, you're all acting like crazy people. <laughs> and that definitely happens in all comics, but like there's eras where it happens less. Like I, I've been rereading the Roger Stern Spider-Man era and there's less of those sort of like whip, uh, whiplash like yeah. reactions to thing. Oh, I mean, some of that stuff existed in Stan Lee's stuff, right? And FF. Oh yeah, oh for sure. And, and Ditko, and Ditko Spider Man. People would be angry at being called cowards for like two pages, and then that would go away. But weirdly, it had re- read more real most of the time, and yeah. it didn't bother me. And it doesn't bother me in rereads. Sometimes in this, and, I, and I'll point out to a couple examples, but like. I'm just like, what are you talking? Why are you mad about this sort of situation? It's definitely like, it's definitely more chaotic than I remember in terms of, and there's a lot of stuff that just happens off panel that like Claremont addresses with like a sentence or two. There's a few things in these issues where things are wrapped up in a caption box in a crazy way. Yeah. And it's like, did you just have a disagreement with the artist or just like how fast were these being made? Yeah. It is like, oh, I thought we had another page. Uh, here's a caption box. Magneto left. Everyone's okay with it. Wait, what? Wait, what just happened? We don't see that happen. I mean, we've already had this weird thing where the last batch of issues, uh, uh, Cyclops and Lee uh, yeah. were in a shipwreck that we don't get to see. It yeah, feels like but- a weird thing not to show for uh, two panels. Right. Especially because they, they went ashore. ashore and fought Man-Thing and then got back on the boat and it crashed, which we didn't see. We, yeah, we saw everything but the crash. We just saw them like wake up. Like we saw them like, well, man, man thing helped us. Let's get out of here. And next week we know they're on an island. island. And it's just like, I guess. And we also find out, I think that boat did not get destroyed in this right. batch of issues, which is also good. So they just got knocked off the boat and the boat just kept <laughs> sailing without their captain. Like, oh, well, she's dead. To some degree, I kind of like that chaos because I, I also yes. think a problem with um, comics superhero comics is like they get too worried about dotting all the I's with continuity. Uh-huh. And there is a degree of like follow the fun that yes. you have to do. And of course it's a balance. Right. Some but, comics uh, definitely are better for like, Oh, we know how this is going to end. We know the end points. We know some of these pillars that we're going to hit. Yeah. And we're going to hit these things and maybe it's mapped out. And if it's mapped out a lot, it's can, it can be good if it's a good writer. Yeah. Uh, but Sometimes what's missing from comics is this sort of like, well, I wrote this three issue story. I don't know what the next three issue story is yet. Yeah. And that is lost somewhat in modern comics where things I think are mapped out a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it reminds me of Breaking Bad. Uh, um, did you hear, ever hear of this show? No, uh, tell me about it. I uh, love Better Call Saul. Okay, great. Um, it's nothing like that. Mm. Um, <laughs> but they talked about a lot in that show how they would often almost write it like they were writing a, a cliffhangers. We're like, here's the problem. We're going to put them in. Let's make it as hard as possible without thinking about how they're going to get them out of it. Okay. And then once he was in the problem, they'd be like, all right, next episode. How do we get him out of this? Right. Which is not a great way to write those things because you could write yourself into a spot. It's like, oh, this is a stupid way to get out of this problem. Right. There's basically no way out. So we have to cheat our way out. Yeah. But they had, they did a really good job of it. They just liked the challenge of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it worked because they were such good writers, but it's amazing. They didn't have more episodes where it's like, uh, and then like a wizard a goose <laughs> talking goose shows up and gets them out of the air or whatever. It's like, what? How's your talking goose script one. going, by the way? No, no interest. Hollywood does not. I think there's a market for it. Cause there's been, 
no talking goose movies like, well, that's it. the lead character oh yeah sure talking talking goose geese, like, but uh yeah no leads i like i'm sure there's talking geese and charlotte's web and babe and other pig pig lead movies i mean i remember all through the 90s you had your shrek you had your talking shrek script and nobody would yeah. nobody would give you the time of day yeah yeah uh once they started calling him someone else stole that idea made him an ogre just yep. named him shrek and it worked better yeah no one knew what a talking shrek was you were way ahead of it yeah well Anyway, comics. So, um, well, we you know that we, was supposed to be Chris Farley. Shrek was. Yeah, the 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 real Shrek, not my Shrek. Um, I did not know that. And it was then a they Chris. Had, they it was a Chris Farley vehicle for Mike Myers because Farley died. No. Yeah, Chris Farley. Uh, it was a Chris Farley vehicle, and then Mike Myers came in and made him Scottish, and the rest is history. Interesting. Um, I did not know. Uh, that. Uh, so, what are we talking about on our Shrek podcast? Um, well, we're, we're taking a little diversion from Shrek to talk about the X-Men. Great. So so issue 148 starts with our shipwrecked people. This Cyclops is a, a lot of setup issues, which we've said before. Like, there's a, This is kind of a pattern in Claremont stuff. You have an issue of like table setting yeah. and then a couple issues of action. And I think maybe that's where my problem is. I've loved the table setting issues but until this one I didn't love. I've kind of enjoyed just watching like, oh, they're going to a diner, taking dance classes. The very high-level summary of issue 148 is Cyclops and Lee, our shipwrecked duo, Scott, who has left the X-Men, and Lee, his new love interest, captain of the boat, stumble upon a magically appearing island and city, which turns out to be inhabited by Magneto. Yeah. And meanwhile, the other X-Men are all at home dealing with kind of... um. Uh, well, I don't know, dealing, like fixing the danger room from still that battle Kitty Pride had. But then they all go out for a night on the town with Spider-Woman and they <laughs> run into Caliban and they have a little fight with Caliban. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's Spider, this issue. Spider-Woman, Dazzler, and Banshee's long-lost unknown daughter Yeah, that I guess was introduced in an issue of Spider-Woman. Right. So there's kind of like... Yeah, Chris Claremont also writes, I believe, or wrote... The, Okay, this kind of like girls' night out, like Storm, Kitty Pride, the dance teacher, Spider Woman, and Banshee's daughter go out for a night on the town, and they yeah, run into it, Caliban. It's the team up everyone's been waiting for: uh, dance teacher, <laughs> Spider Woman. <laughs> now I wonder though, this is where having two dudes host this podcast is a drag. But like in the early '80s, having a bunch of female characters who are super powerful hang out and this is this passes the Bechdel test right like they go out and they're not talking about men or their yeah. love life they go out there talking about that's what I didn't like about it like, <laughs> like Storm has a conversation with Jessica where it's like or with uh, Moira McTaggart where Storm admits that maybe maybe she shouldn't be so hostile to Kitty's dance teacher that maybe she's just jealous of her friendship with Kitty Pride and she needs to embrace this dance teacher yes and it's kind of like a mature sort of like friendship jealousy discussion that doesn't feel like your usual you know gr grounds that you cover in superhero comics i mean i love the female characters in this I, and the annual we talk about one thing i did like is the invisible woman is sort of front and center over the other ff yeah there's they're shoved to the sideline and sue storm takes center stage which is a, a sorry sue richards uh which is a nice change but there are things uh, um and i'm just flipping through this real quick uh, in that convert, but in that conversation, like it was crazy to me how mad Moira McTaggart seemed to get 
that Banshee has a daughter. So, so Banshee finds out he has a long lost daughter, which is weird. She's an adult woman. Yeah. He's so excited to meet her. Didn't know she existed. Yeah. But he seems like it's, he's been reunited, which is already a weird reaction. I think like if someone showed up and was like, Hey, well, here's an adult daughter. You didn't know you had, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, yay. You'd be like, Oh, weird. Yes. This is yes. uncomfortable and strange. And I'm glad to know you probably. And I want to know you. But there'd definitely be a mixture of like, strange. wow, how odd this is. How did I not know about you? How many heralds have you done? Yeah, and she'd be like, a lot. It's in my blood. <laughs> I didn't know why I was so good at it. <laughs> um, and then, but also like if you're dating someone, your girlfriend wouldn't storm out of the room and be like, Will's talking to another girl. <laughs> yes, yes. That she'd be also like, good. this is weird and strange, but also like, I guess good for him. And I want to support him in this if it's yeah. a good significant other. And if it's even not a good significant other, you'd be like, I, all right, this is just a weird thing. I'm going to leave for a little while. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to be mad about that. It, uh, talking about improv, it's like sometimes you do improv shows and you're like playing a talking goose uh, or something. And right. you're like, what if you're would a talking a show? You, you definitely are doing that. Yeah. But it's like, what would a talking goose really do here? And there's a range of things that you can get away with, but there's certain things you do. You're like, this doesn't read like a thing any talking goose would do. And mm-hmm. I guess in this moment, I'm like, I don't think there's any world where Moira McTaggart is mad about this. So this might be an example of like a whiplash emotional reaction that yes. feels very forced. Yeah. Uh, even before that is the moment where they, uh, Scott and Lee stumble into this Cthulhu temple. That's how I'm going to describe it because it's like all these tentacle monster statues. Yeah. That's magically appeared. They don't seem to be scared, but okay. I'm going to accept that because they're superheroes. Mm-hmm. Lee tries to kiss Cyclops. Right. He doesn't want to kiss her because he's still getting over Gene. She runs off. First of all, he's blindfolded. He's blindfolded. First of all, it's crazy that she wants to kiss him while they're walking through the creepiest temple I've ever seen. (laughs) Like that. She's like, let's make out that he doesn't want to. She's furious. (laughs) Right. She's furious at him. He is so thrown by that. He blasts his his optic ray into the sky. And then she comes back. She's like, sorry about that. That whole sequence is bonkers to me none of it made sense i don't know if that's just cockrum and claremont tried to make sense of it yeah it none of it felt real except for the, the magical temple was the most believable part of this. <laughs> like that's the stuff where i'm like what is going on in this comic yeah i, I guess i can see that i i think I, I do think to you have to remember x-men in the context of like other marvel books and like just having men and women be angsty about their romantic relationship was kind of like cool I know, compared to I know, like, I know, but you could be angsty and not quite so <laughs> insane. That's all. Hey, everybody, give Kevin, let Kevin edit your comic book. That's what I'm saying. Just, it is crazy to be like, oh, we're, we're trapped in an island. We haven't eaten in weeks. Mm-hmm. Oh, a magical temple. Let's go in there and see if we can find food. But first, I'm going to kiss you blindfolded. <laughs> I mean, he's handsome. I get it. They're both, Cyclops they're is a good both, looking dude. There's a lot of thirst traps of Cyclops and Lee. Like they're walking around in their skivvies for a couple issues here. They're both very attractive. He can't see her. He's blindfolded, but she's very attracted to him. I get that. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But that she tries to make out with him and she tries to give him like an angel Jean Grey kiss, which is the most intense of kisses. Right. <laughs> and then she's mad when he is not immediately into it. Uh, then we cut to the, uh, how about this? We cut to the, to the mansion, the X-Men mansion. And yes. Wolverine is hunting Nightcrawler 
And That's I was a like, fun sequence. I was like, oh, why is this? And it turns out it's just training. Like they've challenged, can Wolverine, it's like hide and seek. Uh, yeah. Can Wolverine find Nightcrawler? And of course he easily does because he's such a master hunter. Yeah. That's a fun sequence. Um, and then Angel quits because he doesn't like Wolverine. I kind of like that too. I think that's interesting. I like that too. He's an old school guy. I can't quite get with the new guys. It, uh, I like his, that I mean, Storm joining the, Wolverine too. His joining the team was always sort of like backdoored in. Like you just sort of kept hanging out after a while. You just kind of showed up. Uh, but I get that he would quit maybe and be like, ah, I don't like these new guys. Like his only friends on the team are all gone. I I, I do kind of like the distinction between old X-Men and new X-Men. Like that's quite interesting and how Cyclops yeah. bridges that gap. And the Wolverine problem of do we put up with this sometimes homicidal yeah. maniac is an interesting one. I like all that. And um, it's, it's a fun part of the X-Men equation. We're also settling into who I think of as the new X-Men, you know, Nightcrawler, Cyclops, Storm, um, Colossus, and Wolverine. That's the key. That is the core of like and Kitty Pride. X-Men and Kitty Pride. Yeah. Sorry. I yeah, lost Banshee. I, I don't think about as much. I don't think it is Banshee, even though he was there for quite a long time. I don't think of him as like yeah. one of the main ones and even rogue who was like the next person I would put on that list. I still think of her as like a newcomer compared yeah, to me like, too. Me too. She's been on the team now for like a hundred years. Yeah. But I look at rogue as like a later ad. Yeah. Cause I guess she was, I mean, so uh, we've, we've kind of settled into core new X-Men, which is sort of exciting. Yes. I, I also think our X-Men is basically set by secret wars era. Yeah. That was the just, X-Men at that time. Right. Cause rogue had just joined Kitty pride. Wasn't in that story, but like she should have been. Yes. And she was a member of the X-Men. Yeah. So what do you, what's this Caliban situation? So Caliban, what's his deal? He's like a exile mutant in the sewers and he shows up and like, I don't know he, what his deal is in this issue. He becomes he, one of the Morlocks, right? Yeah. And he's like a tracker. He can like sense either mutants or anybody. Yeah. We don't know. We should know. I, we should know. He, he was definitely in comics I've read. He was in the Logan movie and he was an incredible character in that movie. Uh, but here he's just a dude who like shows up. For for I can't quite understand why. I think Dazzler kid, draws him out. Like Dazzler's music power. and dance display attracts him, and he's compelled. Yeah, and he like saps energy from people and causes mayhem. And the X Men have to fight him until he just sort of says, "Hey, I'm a mute," and they let him go. And there's right. kind of no resolution. He kidnaps Kitty because he's lonely and he just wants somebody else with powers. I guess kind of, he kind of Frankenstein. He's kidnapping a bride. Yeah. Um, he says he wants a friend, but it feels or it feels very King Kongy, you know. He just like grabs a pretty girl and runs away. And he looks cool, and I like his even overcoat, uh, a webbing scarf that he wears. Um, I like all that stuff, though. It is weird. He leaves off panel as well, right? Yes. He's just tried to kidnap Kitty. We see a sequence where uh, Spider Woman, Storm, and Kitty Pride are talking about how they hear sirens, and we never see Caliban again. We don't see him leave. We just someone mentions, well, he's gone now. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Woman says he chose to return to his underground to live once more in darkness alone. And then they go back to the club to drink. Hey man, that's a ladies night for you. Yeah. Uh, it's also sort of weird to go out drinking with Kitty pride, but um, the, she's they 14. They treat her like she's 17. That, that yeah. That's kind of how they, that's kind of how they like treat her. And yeah, for all this talk from Claremont and John Byrne about her age, and how important that was. And there's moments in this comic where it is important. They talk about how she's too young 
Yeah. But then there's other moments where they just ignore it completely. They just treat her like the new member. She's a this child. Is, 14 this, is so young. This is Caliban's debut, by the way. That makes sense. Um, interesting. Well, I mean, it, I, I think he becomes a great character. So there's something really cool about Caliban, but it's very uneven here. I mean, once again, Cockrum is just cool at making like a cool design. Yeah. And he looks cool and he's memorable and he stands out. So I can see why he's brought back. Um, uh, then we get this and then Magneto shows up at the very end of the issue. He somehow is in the Cthulhu city. So let's go on to issue 149. Kit. Yes, let's do it. Um, so we've got uh, uh, Professor X is sort of researching Magneto to helpfully recap us, the readers, on what he's been up to. Um, yep. Kitty Pride debuts her new costume, which is <laughs> insane, but I think it's meant to be. It's kind of fun that it's insane. It's yeah. Um, th- this this is a little pattern of her introducing new costumes, and I think that's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, I I I love the the X Men are kind of horsing around in the danger room, and it's kind of it's kind yeah. of sweet. It's fun between uh, dangerous, especially because they've had such dark times recently. It's nice to see them just laughing and even Wolverine smiling a little bit. Yeah. Um, they, they got a good vibe going. The group, like th- this is, we are solidly in the X-Men as like a family who know each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I, I'm really excited just to see them hang out. So they're, they're going back to the volcano where they left Magneto. I forget how to, why do they do that? They don't know that. They don't Cyclops know. Is there's, there, right? there's absolutely no reason to do this. They go there because, <laughs> well, he's not there. They go there just because Xavier's thinking about Magneto. Let's make okay. sure he's dead or see what's up with him. <laughs> and so they go to investigate. And while they're there, they get attacked by another character. I don't care about the, the, the Grok savage or... world stone man or whatever he was. Garrock. Yeah. Uh, like the sequences before that, before he attacks, it's all kind of fun. Them investigating a kitty pride stowing away. Uh, and even the battle is pretty good. I just, this villain has, uh, is, is such a nothing. Um, yeah, so they kind of have this weird, they have an okay fight with the villain yeah. we don't care about. And they're, right. being, they're closer to being reunited with Cyclops is what's also happening. Yes. Um, is Cyclops even in this issue? At the very end. The very end, the last page. So yeah, they fight this guy and then they get in their Blackbird and fly away. There's also like this weird sequence. He's mad at Storm who tried to save him. He even remembers her trying to save him. But then he like, I don't know, tosses well, her down the pit. she failed. Yes. She wasn't able to save him. And then he says here, and this is another off-panel thing, that Magneto saved him. Yeah, right. And so he's loyal to Magneto for saving him and gives Storm no credit for her truly sincere and valiant effort to save him. Right. He's really mad at her for, for I don't think, for a good reason. Um, but yeah, it's it's an okay issue. There's good moments in it. But like because this villain, I didn't like him the first time he showed up and that was burn stuff. He's even less interesting here. <laughs> Uh, and then they fly off in the Blackbird, and we see that uh, Magneto knows that Scott Summers is Cyclops. Cyclops is worried he's going to identify him, and Magneto's like, I know, dude, I'm not an idiot. Although in the meantime, Magneto has decked out Cyclops and Lee in like crazy, like almost like Narnia slash Tolkien uh, fantasy armor, kind of. Yeah, everything about this feels Cthulhu-like to me. Like this feels like an ancient Cthulhu temple. Yeah. Because it's all squid tentacles and stuff, yeah, but it could yeah. be Atlantean too. That's definitely it, true. Yeah. Their armor looks Atlantean. This this mm-hmm. is like Namor. I, I said um, Narnia. That's crazy. This looks like Namor Atlantis thirst trap yes, stuff. Yes. 
Definitely um, thirst trap. They look, they look sexy. They look sexy, baby. Um, let's go to issue 150. Now we know from talking to Claremont that they like to have big stories on the round numbers. Yeah, and this is an oversized issue. This is 40 pages, maybe? Yeah, because we know in issue 100 is where they created Phoenix. Yes. So this is a, re- this is a Magneto battle. That's a pretty big deal for an anniversary issue, the main villain. And Cyclops reunites with the team. Yes, that's so also cool. Cyclops comes back, and they have a big showdown with Magneto. Also, and- Magneto's plan here I like, uh, only in the sense that like it isn't I'm going to take over the world or destroy the world. It is... I want everyone to get rid of their nuclear weapons. Yeah. This is, the be- to- this is the beginning of Magneto being the, I'm actually a good guy using bad guy yes. means to, to make good things happen. He mentions Auschwitz, which I don't know if that's the first time it's mentioned. It's the first time I've noticed it mentioned. Um, so it's, it's seeding like that he is a Holocaust survivor. Um, or it's yeah, which is a really that. interesting part of Magneto's backstory, which turns him from like just generic bad guy, bad guy into like sympathetic, interesting bad guy. Yeah, he's trying to make the world a better place with mutants on top. Uh, uh and his methods are definitely villainous. So I liked all that stuff. It's nice to have a villain. I sometimes it's fun to have a villain who's just like, I want to destroy the world, and sometimes yeah. it's nice to have a villain who's like, yeah, Why? Yeah, you know, the thing you're doing to destroy the world is you're going to destroy it if they don't get rid of nuclear weapons because otherwise it's destroyed anyway. And that sort of does make some sense. And especially at this time in the early eighties, like this was a huge, like zeitgeisty thing. It'd be in the news every day. Like the threat of nuclear war from the Soviet union was like so common. Like if he was successful in this, if the X-Men hadn't stopped him and everyone disarmed the nuclear weapons, the world is sort of a better place. Yeah. It's interesting. And uh, then Magneto would take over the world. It would be a worse place. But for a little bit, there'd be a brief window. Um, and so this is basically the X-Men invading the Magneto Cthulhu castle. Do we ever find out how he got there? I don't. We never find it mentioned, but I, I didn't understand it. He's just sort of here. I also don't know how this temple just sort of appeared overnight by this island. Um, but the, but, but the, the actual... rest of the X-Men sort of were just flying by. That's how they got here. <laughs> the actual battle between the X-Men and Magneto is, is really quite fun because Magneto yes. has a power dampening thing. Yes. So for a lot of this issue in a really fun way, the X-Men do not have their powers and they have to fight him anyway, which I kind of love. Yeah. The Blackbird's flying by. So Magneto like knocks it down. The X-Men don't know why they start swimming towards this Cthulhu temple and on the way they lose their powers. Colossus was in his organic mode, which doesn't need to breathe. And all of a sudden he turns to human and starts drowning. Yeah. Um, and then like, they don't realize they don't have powers at that moment either. Right. But it's because it, uh, they quickly realize. Yeah. Like Nightcrawler can't teleport. I assume that Wolverine can't heal, I guess. Uh, and he loses all his like smell, his like hunting skills. His he still has super... his claws because that's part of his body. Yeah. Um, I assume that those claws are ripping through his skin with blood though. Right. Because. Uh, yeah. He doesn't seem to mind. Yeah. Uh, and they run into Cyclops, who seems pretty casual about it, but it's a nice little <laughs> reunition. He's like laughing about Wolverine and then like gives Storm a big hug. It's nice. For Will, yeah. for Will's needs, Storm is like in a swimsuit here. Will loves that. Mm-hmm. I do. I love all thirst traps. I mean, uh, Storm is definitely my favorite thirst trap, but I'm in favor of all the X Men constantly walking around in their skitties. I'm down for all of it. I want to see yeah. Wolverine in a bikini. 
so they start like Magneto is sleeping during all this, which is also sort of funny. <laughs> uh, so they're walking around trying to like destroy his weapons and like stop his plan. And Storm considers stabbing Magneto. That's a cool sequence. Yeah, she she comes upon him asleep in his bed and she's like, Wolverine would just kill him. And why not? Why not rid the world of who up until now has been an unrepentant evil mm-hmm. warlord monster? But she opts not to do it but not before Magneto sees her with a knife and like blasts her out a window. Yeah. To her death, basically. He's, he, he thinks, thinks, he thinks killed he killed her. her. Yeah. Which is, you know, cause she can't fly right now. She has enough powers. Um, there's a fun little, uh, professor X versus Magneto mental battle. Those are always fun panels to me. You know, the, the grimacing yeah. psychic battles. And then, um, uh, Cyclo- uh, class, uh, rather, Professor X is strapped to a metal chair and flown to the island, which is a funny <laughs> sequence. <laughs> My chair, it's flying, and it just flies away. And I guess it definitely, that's, Car- I think that's Carol Danvers. Uh, yes, that's right. Captain Marvel is there. The future Captain Marvel at this point. Miss Marvel, probably. Okay, yep. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, so Professor X is brought into the battle. I mean, I lose track of all this stuff. Like somehow all the X-Men just kind of get here for a big fight with Magneto. Right. And then while this is all going on, Storm, who like used her cape to like snag one of these arches or something, climbs back in and destroys the computer that, unbeknownst to her, was stopping all their powers. Yes. She just, she's like, well, this computer seems important. I'll just destroy it. Um, And which is the... S- Second, the first of two times that computers are messed up in this battle. Yeah, Pride does it a little bit later. Computer destruction is important. I um, mean, I, you know, again, early '80s computers are like magic. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, ooh, the hard drive. Like, you know that that's sort of like that'd be like saying the cloud now. now you know, it's just yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Stands for technology in some general way. But yeah, they get their powers back. So Cyclops is able to like blast Magneto and get everyone out of their straps. When they get his, out, when they first emerge and all right after Cyclops frees them and all their powers are back and their costumes are back on, it was pretty exciting. It's like, oh, it now they're about cool. to kick ass. It is crazy that part of the X-Men emergency pack rations is a visor for Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's like, one of those they, like off panel things. It's like, well, he just has his visor now. Yeah. This is, oh, we always carry a, an extra Cyclops visor. <laughs> Like, okay. It doesn't say who. And what's an X, X-Men emergency pack? And I don't these know. Guys... They, they had mentioned it earlier because they didn't have enough, like, I don't know, air tanks for everybody. <laughs> That's why Colossus had to go metal. It's very confusing. But yes, so they get their powers back. It is cool. And they attack Magneto hard and fast. And it's very fun. Uh, like, they're just, they come at him hard. He doesn't get a chance to, like, because like, he's got an advantage over half the team is made of metal. But they don't really let up, which uh, keeps Magneto on the ropes. Uh, Kitty Pride uses her phasing power to like disrupt the computer again, which destroys his device that was going to, I don't know, destroy the world if they didn't dismantle their nuclear right, weapons. So Kitty, the second computer destroying saves the world. And then Magneto attacks her. He's got some sort of ability at this point to like zap people. And I never quite understand why he can do that. Like using magnets, he zaps people and he and- thinks he kills Kitty Pride. And although he was cool with killing Storm, this bothers him. Because Kitty Pride is a kid. So here, once again, Kitty Pride, who was treated like a 17-year-old at a club, now is treated like a child here. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's nice, man. You know, it feels bad that he hurt a kid. And I, I dig that. And Storm, it makes Storm kind of forgive Magneto when she sees um, Magneto being kind yeah. to Kitty. Yeah, but uh, at that moment, she thinks Kitty is dead too, right? Yeah, th- this is another, like, she, when she shows up and she sees Magneto holding Kitty's limp body, she get you know, she says, if and you he's have like, a deity. And he's like, I killed her. And he's like, I killed her. Yeah, if you have a deity butcher, pray to it. And she's about to, like, mess up Magneto. Right. And he says, go ahead and kill me. I deserve it. And that weirdly softens Storm. Yeah, that he feels bad about something, surprised her. And then she goes, give me my child. And then this is all off panel. She gets better. He goes away. The X-Men are reunited on the island. Right. Let me read this caption box. So we see we see Storm looking at Magneto as holding what looks like a dead kitty pride. And then we get a caption box that says, Miraculous, miraculously, because she was phasing at the time, Kitty survived Magneto's energy blast. The other X-Men arrived to find her regaining consciousness in Storm's arms. Of Magneto, there was no sign. Professor Xavier scoured the island telepathically to no avail. The Archfoe had escaped. That is a lot of work in that caption box. Yeah. And then they're all just hanging out on the island and they're pretty chill and happy. That's the end. That's the end of that story. And Kitty Pride does a Star uh, Wars. So I like most of it, but yeah, there's a Star Wars joke. They dunk her in the water. That's all fun, fun and games. Yeah, it is. I guess uh, Lee is just sort of there. Yeah, she's just hanging out with them for a while. Um, but it is crazy how quickly that caption box resolved. Oh yeah, a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, do you want to talk real quick about this annual, or yeah. do you anything else to say about that issue? Nope. I'm I'm trying to look up the annual in my Marvel Unlimited. Who yeah, does you have to go to a separate us. thing to get. What do you it? think about that? So if you're in Marvel Unlimited and you want to read, so there's a million X-Men titles. So if you want to read X-Men, yeah. you got to search for Uncanny X-Men. That is that is the key search term. Yeah, that will get you the issues we're talking about. But then if you want an annual, you got to search for Uncanny X-Men Annual, which there have been a million of. And you also have to like kind of know what era Uncanny X-Men, because there's like multiple eras of it, because it gets relaunched every now and then. Which yeah, is so sort you got to find the one that begins in 1970. If you Google like Uncanny X-Men, whatever, 150, you can find this like wiki um, fandom page or whatever. Uh-huh. And in that, they always have like, you can always go back an issue or forward an issue to get like recaps or just see covers whatever mm-hmm. people have entered to these wikis, but yeah. they also say like, see the next issue or see the next part of the storyline. It'll be like, you can go to the annual or the next issue. Oh, nice. And it's like, it's so convenient. And the, Marvel Unlimited should have something like that. Especially for something like this, where these annuals do progress characters sometimes. And it feels like, yeah, that, that, uh, that's, that should be something unlimited uh, factors in. Yeah. It feels like Marvel comics, you know, the employees of Marvel Comics, everybody that we've talked to from Chris Claremont to Tom Brevoort to to others, they're true blue Marvel yes. super fans. Like they themselves were and are comics nerds fans. Mm-hmm. So you'd think that they would be good at thinking of these products from a fan's point of view. I mean, I got to imagine people like Tom or... um Jordan uh, White or whoever. Jordan White. Yeah. Uh, these guys get that. Now it's confusing these relaunches and numbers and, and all that sort of, they don't work on the unlimited. I think they also understand it's like, uh, if it sells better to call it number one. Yeah, sure. Who cares in the long run? 
it's only a pain for this stuff, like sorting it and reading it in order and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I think as a programmer, Will and I have programming backgrounds. Uh, it doesn't seem crazy to have this built in to the uh, online reading to be able to have multiple next issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's tough. You could even open source it a little bit. You could have people say like, this should be included here. And then someone could curate it on their side. But anyway, uh, uh, so we get this issue that is sort of a dud mostly. Yeah. It's just like, can we say it quickly? Like, I don't even think it's worth getting into too much detail on this. Like, yeah, it's basically the FF and the X-Men team up against an alien race. And it's mostly Sue Richards and the X-Men, which is fun. Yes. And the, and the battle is like, everybody use your individual powers in creative ways to defeat these aliens, which they do. Right. And yeah. And then it's kind of resolved and they go back. Yeah. It's nice that it's Sue saving her. I mean, it's, it kind of stinks that the first page is like Sue going, Hey, everyone, dinner's ready. And they're all like, we're too busy doing dude stuff. Uh, that's sort of a lame star for Sue, but then she gets to take the forefront and help the X-Men go to Archon's realm to fight the Badoon. Uh, but it is, Sort of, a, and I also like that Kitty gets to go on this adventure without like sneaking along. That she's just like allowed to go. Yeah, there's no like pretense of like you can't go on this. Um, but yeah, it's not much to this issue that's great. I mean, it's fine art and it's fine. The characters are all. I mean, they're, it's Claremont. They're all written fine and good. Yep. Um, but Claremont but, loves like a lot of these. Like, oh, here's an interesting way for Reed to use his stretching power, and like. Here's an interesting way for, you know, Sue to use her force fields. Like it's a lot on the creative use of powers. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't care about Archon as a character either. Which doesn't yeah, either. There's a weird moment at the end with Colossus ogling Kitty Pride. Uh, well, it's being hinted about their romantic attraction for each other. Like she pretty much has a crush on him and that's overtly stated. And they are yes. going to become boyfriend and girlfriend. So that's being, that's kind of being set up here. Yeah. But she's dressed up like in some, you know, fantasy world robes. And Colossus doesn't recognize, first of all, Thing says, like, I know you're real pretty and all, which is weird. He's like 30 something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Colossus looks at her and goes, Kitty, I never dreamed you were so beautiful. Yeah. That's still, I just, he's 19, she's 14. It's just, uh, it's very weird. I don't think that's going to go away, Kev. I know, but I'm going to complain about it every time there's a big moment of it. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, uh, so it's not, I mean, it's a skippable issue. Some of these annuals I think are less skippable. I think the Nightcrawler backstory one is insane, but more important. Yes. And this one sort of is uh, very skippable other than like, I guess, Storm likes Archon. Right, right. It's kind of fun to see Storm have a romantic uh, yeah. story. We haven't, we haven't had that yet. I agree. But I, I think significantly what we're seeing here is the... A new era of X-Men, the post-burn era. Yeah. And Claremont, I, I, it is uneven, but we're sort of seeing it evolve into his priorities. Yeah, and there's probably also some, despite it being Cockrum who started these stories, kind of like finding their footing again. Um, should we take a break and then do some mail? Let's do it. Um, 
Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks in advance from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back. Kevin, let's get some mailbags going. How would people email us if they wanted to? Oh, yeah. Our email is screwitcomics at gmail. Screwitcomics at gmail. Uh, we also have an Instagram account, screwitcomics, and a Twitter account, screwitcomics. Um, so email us. Tell us what you think of the X-Men or uh, any of the interviews with our guests that we've had or anything about comics or anything. Say hi. We're starting to get more emails from people telling us because uh, we've hinted that we might. We don't know how much longer we'll cover the X-Men comics. Right, we're, we're going to cover with our mailbag episodes in the yeah. future. And so we're getting people suggesting new things uh, for that. So I'm going to read a few of those today. Uh, but uh, first one we got here is from friend of Will, friend of the show, Dan Gelati. Uh, great. Uh, and he wants to talk about George Perez. Have you heard about the sad George Perez news, Will? Oh, yeah. My God. It's so sad. So George Perez has, uh, I think, pancreatic cancer. Yes. And it is terminal. He's got six months to a year to live is what he's been told. Yeah. Uh, And George Perez is the artist who uh, co-created the new Titans. Mm -hmm. He uh, was an artist on the Avengers at least twice, two seminal runs. He was Mm -hmm. uh, the first non-Kirby good artist on FF, I would think. Yeah. Who like kind of made it his own. He uh, did Justice League Avengers with Kurt Busaic, which is an amazing thing. He is... Uh, did a seminal run on Wonder Woman after Crisis, did Crisis, did Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. This guy has done everything. He's an incredible artist. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, he's sort of retired because he had been losing his vision from diabetes already, which is already sad enough. Yeah. Um, but now he's dying. And he basically posted this message very recently, which is a very sweet, heartwarming message where he's just like, kind of Lou Gehrig style quotes Lou Gehrig saying like, I feel like the luckiest man in the world because of this community I'm a part of. He's a very positive person. Uh, I was reading Tom Brevroot and Kirk Busaic's Twitter when this was announced to see what they had to say about it. And they were sharing George stories that were both very funny. And I wanted to uh, tell you them, Will. Okay. Apparently he had drawn some cover for uh, the Avengers relaunch he did with Kurt. And um, it was rejected. And he had to like do another one. And the one he did was like a, a simpler cover. It was just like a wonder man uh, uh, leaping out. And it was so simple. He asked Kurt if he should ask Marvel for less money. <laughs> uh, and Kurt was like, no, they don't pay you more when you do a complicated cover. It's a good cover. You should get paid the same amount. Yeah. Uh, and he also mentioned it to the editor, Tom. Uh, and Tom said he just laughed at him when he was <laughs> mentioned that but like this guy is like i've never heard of someone saying marvel should pay me less Uh, it's very funny to me uh 
And then later on, he did an even simpler cover and felt really guilty about it. Um, he did like a, a really cool Ultron cover that's just his face close up. And he thought it was too simple. And it's a really great cover. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also, think, of, think of Press, he is kind of the master of the 1,000 characters are in this panel. Yeah. Like the things you said, like Avengers, Crisis, JL, he, he is kind of good at these ensemble books where you have to like show so much detail and stuff. Whenever you hear those things, he... It, it was the same thing when he relaunched Avengers with Kurt. First of all, when he relaunched Avengers with Kurt, he was he wanted to prove to everyone that he could do a monthly book, which is something like good artists nowadays just going, I'll just do covers. I don't need to do a monthly book anymore, or I'll just do yeah. one arc. But he was like, I want to prove to everyone I could do a monthly book, which is crazy to someone. You don't need to prove anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he did prove it. He did like so many issues in a row and they were great. But in that early arc, Kurt was like, I'm going to bring back a lot of old Avengers for the storyline. Is there anyone you want to see? I'll make sure I include them. And he goes, bring them all back. <laughs> so every Avenger at least has a one panel cameo in this first arc. Um, when he did JLA Avengers, Kurt asked the same questions. Like if there's a Justice League member or an Avenger character you want to see in this, let me know. Cause I'm going to try to work a lot of guys in. He goes, bring them all. I want everyone in this. So again, Kurt like had to find ways to like at least have a cameo by everyone who'd ever been in the Justice League or the Avengers, which is an enormous number of people. And then another story Tom shared when he was doing, after he did Infinity Gauntlet, someone came up to him, some kid at a convention came up to him and said, I like your work. If you keep at it, you might be as good as Todd McFarlane, <laughs> who was a newer artist at that time, yeah. very new. Yeah. Uh, and George was like sharing the story, not mad, but just sort of being yeah. like, this is why I got to keep getting better. Yeah. Because no one cares that I did Wonder Woman in Crisis. Yeah. I have to prove to myself and prove to my fans that I'm the best, which I think is a great attitude. It's very fun. He's such a good person. I mean, his press release was sad, not only, or heartwarming, um, not just because it was sharing the sad news, but what he was saying was what he's going to try to do with this time left is basically give back to the fans. Like he's going to try to do some appearances and one more big autograph signing thing. And like, yeah. He wants to take pictures with people uh, and it didn't yeah. feel like ego motivated legacy. It felt like, I don't know, I only have so much time left. So let's, let's spend a little of it together. Yeah. He said he wants to do a convention and sign as many things as he can on the condition that he can hug every fan. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. He's so good. He's so great. When he worked for CrossGen, which was a comic company that started up to try to like change how comics were sold uh, some cool ideas. It didn't work out ultimately was under contract with them in his contract. It said, uh, if Marvel and DC get their act together and do justice league Avengers and they want me to draw it, I get to do, I can leave this contract for that because it was important for him to be a part of that book. And Marvel and DC like made, heard that and then got their act together. So he made that book happen because they were like, yeah, we should get George to draw this. It's crazy that we haven't done this. Yeah. It was the last big crossover book. Uh, anyway, Don, Dan Gelati emails because of this news. I, I wonder if you might want to consider reading some Perez in order of how great a talent he is. And his recommendations are New Teen Titans to Titans. I'd suggest starting the first Wolfman Perez smash hit issues and then maybe jump ahead to the prestige comic New Titans since it showed a maturing of their talent, the characters and a development of quality in mainstream comic creating. And seeing how you guys are such Marvel fans, it makes sense to read the most Marvel of the DC comics ever produced. And I will say I, at one point re, during this pandemic, I tried to um, go back and read this because I had the DC infinite uh, app for a little bit. I don't have it now. And I read the first five or six issues and they're real good. 
I just okay, didn't yeah. have time to keep up with it. Wow. But I, I, it's a big gap. I've read um, the one big storyline, the Deathstroke storyline, um, whatever that was called, uh, that they did. And other than that, I haven't really read that. Yeah, this, I haven't read any of that either. Uh, beyond that, his Wonder Woman is pretty awesome too. And I've read some of that, but not a lot of it. Uh, I got the Omnibus for Xmas a few years back, and it's such a cool reboot. Uh, or you can revisit a highlight reel or Perez's brilliance at Marvel Incredible Avengers issues or some of this FF stuff. Um, and then he moves on. How about Burns Man of Steel? Dig into Burn, but in a non-Marvel uh, or X-Men uh, way. I think those comics hold up and do a lot of what Burn is best at in modernizing comic tropes, usually for the better. So these are his suggestions for what we what we cover. Yeah. And you know, press stuff is great. It's there's something there. Uh, New Titans, yeah. I think, is an interesting choice. Yeah. Thank you for that suggestion. What else we got? We got um from Mike Santegagata. Hello, Milksops. Well, part of me hopes that you will somehow read all of the X-Men stories up through the second issue of the Executioner's Song before stopping mid-story. It seems as if the end is in sight for your reading of the X-Men. Listening to the latest episode, it seems as if the mighty Milksop Marching Society started to send in some ideas for what to do next. I wanted to share a few of my own. I'll start by seconding two of the ideas from the episode with John Byrne's FF and Frank Miller's Daredevil. I think those are right in your wheelhouse. Those great runs from the 80s by creators that you have already gone over before. I will say that I had a couple runs that have not been discussed yet. Being that I'm a slightly younger fan, born in 96, my wheelhouse was the 2000s. Some of my favorite runs during this time include Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley. Amazing Spider-Man by John Michael Straczynski. Uh, Hulk, Planet Hulk, World War Hulk by Greg Pak. Plastic Man by Kyle Baker. All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison. And Fantastic Four by Mark Wade. Uh, so those are his suggestions, and they're all... The ones I've read are all great comics. And yeah, I read all of them. So those, are, yeah, I'd like to. I like to educate myself on the two thousands for sure. So those are those are cool suggestions. I don't. I we don't know what we're gonna do next. I should say we don't know. Got this one from Robert Christ. Where is this? He thinks instead of reading a comic, where is this? Went into commentary watch of the Days of Future Past film. He said most people thought it was a good movie, so revisited. I rewatched the Marvel movies in the 2012 Avengers. Isn't as good as I remembered. And then he talks about why he didn't like it a little bit. I'm going to skip that. Uh, we could also talk about Batman stuff since the film is coming up in March 2022. Mm-hmm. You cover Hush or Long Halloween or other stuff leading into the film. Robert Chris is smart. He He's telling us to do things that tie into movies Modern or things, things that are going yeah, on. This would make our podcast more popular. Yeah, we're probably not doing that. We're not yeah, smart. We're, what's What's dumb? Yeah, that's good let's, synergy thought from Robert Chris. Uh, let's cover Mobius the Living Vampire for four years. <laughs> and there's a movie coming about him. We can't cover him. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so those are some of the suggestions. If you've got suggestions, you can email them in too. Um, if there's things that we haven't talked about covering next, I'd love to hear what people want us to cover. Yeah. Uh, Corey Minst emailed us and a few people also posted on Twitter and Instagram about this. Uh, and so I posted a little bit about it as well. The John Byrne story that retconned his appearance in the Ar- Dr. Doom's appearance in the arcade storyline. Well, yes. So in this, uh, so we had covered the story where Dr. Doom and arcade set up a hundred thousand traps for the X-Men. <laughs> right. And in the course of the story, arcade lights a match on Dr. Doom's armor. Yes. Which we had sort of made a joke about. seemed very silly. Yeah. But John Byrne had done a story where Dr. Doom is walking through his checking on his doom bots and finds one with a scratch mark on it. And the doom bot is like, Oh yeah. Arcade lit a match on me. When I was working with him. So it's saying like, <laughs> this wasn't Doom. This was a Doom bot. And Doom's response is, uh, let's see. It goes, 
I see. And in what manner did you terminate Arcade for this <laughs> affront to the personage of Doom? <laughs> I did not terminate him, Master. I found it conceivable you might have need of him later. And then Doom blows up the Doom bots. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, oh, okay. And how did you kill him? <laughs> you didn't kill him. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Uh, and then apparently there's another story about Alan Ewing very recently where he had Doom mentioned that like, oh, sometimes I claim things are Doom bots so people never know. <laughs> like the time I actually worked with Arcade. So it's very confusing now whether that was Doom or not. It's a retcon on a retcon. Uh, anyway, a few people have mentioned that to us and it's very funny. You can Google that and there's a couple articles people have written about it. Here's a nice one from Chuck Price. Howdy, Milk Sops. First of all, credit where credit is due. Your podcast got me back into comics, so thank you. I loved Spider-Man as a kid, and listening to your first season reinvigorated my love for all things Marvel. In startling news, my partner last night declared I had successfully converted them to superhero comics after we read three issues of Fantastic Four Life Story together. So while this is the comic I mentioned recently, where it's like FF in real time, so each issue takes place like in a decade so it's like, this is the FF in the 60s. And then 10 years later, what are they doing? And 10 years later, what are they doing? Yeah. And so they age in real time in it. It's by Mark Russell, uh, I think his name is. He's great. It's been a long journey of me sneakily showing them majestic panels and recounting my favorite arcs, as well as a few attempts of direct indoctrination via comics. America Chavez, X-Men, Sandman, that were generally met with shrugs. I was surprised by their reaction to FF Life Story and was wondering if you had any recommendations for other mags or arcs that might keep this fandom flame alive. They seem particularly moved by Sue Storm and Ben Grimm as characters or general thoughts of what makes a good entry-level comic. Best, Caden. So Chuck is his email, but Caden, I guess, is the name. So Will has not read FF Life Story, so... Uh, I have no recommendations. No recommendations, that. but I think if Sandman is always a good comic for people who haven't read a lot of comics, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. It doesn't require any knowledge of previous continuity. They're relatively self-contained. They're more fantasy short story-ish rather than mm -hmm. superhero soap opera machinations. Um, and my other suggestion would be Astro City, I think, weirdly. Yeah. Uh, if you want to do something superhero style, if you like life story where like you're seeing characters evolve over decades, uh, Astro City has some of that. They're, yeah. they're FF analogs are more like this life story than the actual FF because they're the team going to get goes through a lot of changes though. They're not in every issue. So it's like, there'll be stories about the confessor who's more of a Batman character or yeah. Samaritan who's more of a Superman character or Jack in the box is kind of a daredevil Spider-Man ish guy. Yeah. Some of their stories it's, it's more anthology. So it's more of a mixed bag, but um, yeah, at least one of the stories has made Will and I cry. Yep. The hanged man story. Yeah. Nearness of you. Um, Oof, what a good one. So good. Uh, but the, but also I think like the FF story would really scratch this itch that uh, some of the Samaritan stuff would too. So if it has to be superhero, I'd say Astro City. If you're open to other things, probably Sandman. How about that, Will? We had an answer. We answered something. We were actually useful. Here's one from Michael Zabo. Hi again to my magnanimous, magnanimous, uh, sorry, magnanimous milksops marauding the microverse of my memories that are comic books. I have sent a few previous emails and I've learned that everything that made me a fan of comics, Kevin hates. So <laughs> I apologize. I talked about the 90s Spider-Man show and got nothing. I talked about my love for event comic arcs and got shut down. <laughs> I won't talk on here about how the 90s X-Men cartoon did many adaptions of Claremont comic storylines, such as a Phoenix saga, better than anything else outside the originals. 
after being told over and over on the show that I'm the worst, <laughs> I thought to myself, maybe the problem is me. So I'm reading through my entire first entire run of a comic in my entire life. And my choice was the Peter David run of Incredible Hulk. I thank you for the inspiration because I'm loving it. Although there are some boring issues here and there, I love the continuities of the storylines and it is making me care about characters that I never thought I would, namely the leader. Unlike the common villain trope of being precisely on time, the leader says it in every issue, no matter what is happening, that he knew that would happen. And it was all part of his plan. I'm on board with the leader, the Hulk, Bruce Banner, and the only brothers that talk about things they like. Thanks for the great <laughs> content, guys. Uh, so now I have to dislike Peter David's Hulk run because of this. Yeah, you have to keep your pattern up. I have to keep the pattern. So and you uh, love even that though that's that gonna is be, the, that's going to be big for you. It's the first comic I collected in its entirety. Uh, Peter David was like the first writer I would follow to titles, but now I hate him. Yeah, you have to I hate him, and I hate that run. I do think the X Men, the X Men cartoon in the '90s, is something that we that I think we do have respect for. It just wasn't something that hooked us. We, we yeah. were just the wrong age for it. Yeah, I even have respect for the Spider Man cartoon that brought so many fans in. I just it doesn't work for me. But I'm also yeah. older, uh, and it's it's tough. The X Men cartoon was definitely interestingly ambitious. Yes, even talking to Brett White about it uh, recently, listen to that episode and how big it was for him. His his love of '90s comics did not convince me those comics were good, but his love of the X Men cartoon was like, oh yeah, that that cartoon was special. Yeah, and you see how important it was to him and other people. Yeah, here's a response to our episode with Chris Gethard where we talked about Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment. Yes, I went back to the book to figure. This is from Mark D. I went back to the book to figure out how much Doctor Doom had planned for. I noticed a few bits of plotting that reinforce how Doctor Doom and Strange both play a role in the outcome. During the final battle, the pair team up twice to strike a decisive blow against Mephisto. The first time while they're huddled for protection within Dr. Strange's green orb shield, Dr. Doom asks Strange to lower the shield so he can launch the attack. He has pre-planned an antimatter projectile. This stops Mephisto for a few moments, but fails to end the fight. The second time, it's Dr. Strange who suggests lowering the shield while he casts a spell on the stone statue of Cynthia, releasing her redeemed soul and temporarily stymieing Mephisto. So Doom does need Dr. Strange help in ending the fight and freeing his mother from Mephisto's clutches. He can't do it alone as his mother's ascension to heaven doesn't seem to be an outcome he planned for. What really takes things to another level is this. Stern constructs the plot and chooses a dialogue to dem demonstrate over and over again that Strange and Doom are evenly matched and even complementary to each other. In the examples I mentioned above, the first time it's Dr. Strange's mystic shield that protects them. The second time it's Doom's force field that saves them. Magic and science together are necessary in the fight. Uh, one more example I noticed at an earlier moment when Strange and Doom reunite and begin to attack Mephisto, Doom cries out that his goal is to defeat Mephisto by sheer power alone, if necessary. On the same page, however, Strange banters with Mephisto and says that evil can be overcome, which sounds like being virtuous in the face of temptation has something to do with it. A subtle difference in the outlook between the villainous Doom and the virtuous Strange. All in all, some great writing by Roger Stern. Uh, that's great. I love that look at it. Yeah, that is a... Good angle. Good take. Interesting take. Uh, oh, here's another one. Here's another one from the same guy. Mark D emailed us a while ago. Thanks for reading my recent emails on your podcast. It feels like having my fan letter published in your favorite comic book. Have either of you ever written a letter to a comic book's letter column or to a specific comic creator or some other creator, perhaps? Have you, Will? I haven't. Oh, wait. I, I sent letters to the Brothers Hernandez and I felt embarrassed about it later. Did they respond? No. I bought original art from... Uh, Jaime uh, through the mail and got those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there, you know what? There was a little note. There was a little note from him when I did that. I forgot. I sent a big long letter to Gilbert and didn't get an answer, which I, it was crazed. I don't, I don't begrudge him not answering. Yeah. 
you were you sent it you were outside his house and slipped it under his door yeah i was like hey don't be weirded out but i can see you that's how mm-hmm. i opened the letter yeah that's i don't know what his problem was yeah uh, brian sent the letter to power pack right yeah that's right and it got printed yeah so we are men uh, of letters i uh i sent a letter to nightwing uh maybe one or two letters i might have I at least have one printed it was short just like being how much I loved that run by Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel. It was very complimentary and brief. So it got printed right up a comic letter columns alley. Yeah. Uh, but I also had an exchange with Chuck Dixon because he had a message board uh, for a while that I frequented because I really loved all his DC work. And in that uh, uh, he had talked about working on a book called Airboy, uh, which is like, um, I don't know, a military ish comic. Okay. And so I was like, oh, I'll get it. And I found on eBay, a run of Airboy, and I, and I, and I filled in the ones I couldn't get. I just got the whole run and read it. It was pretty fun. And I posted on there. I was like, you know, I read this run. It's really great. I'm missing one issue. It's a bummer. It was like the last one or, or one near the very end. I was like, I couldn't find it. Sort of a bummer. But otherwise, I read this entire run. And he says, what's your address? And sent me the issue. Oh, wow. Autographed because he had an extra copy and oh, completed that's... my run. And I was like, what a cool thing. To... I didn't ask <laughs> for it. I wasn't posting being like, hey, can anyone yeah, help me yeah, get this? Yeah. I was just sort of like, you know, I read it was like 50 issues plus. So I was like, hey, I read 49 of them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's oh, not nice. a thing that's still continuing. It was fun. It was so nice. It was really nice. Uh, he's sort of uh, gone more. He's He was always right wing, though his writing didn't necessarily show that. I think he's gotten more that way as the world mm-hmm. has become polarized. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't change anything that his writing for those Batman books around that era were great. He wrote Robin and Nightwing and Birds of Prey. Yeah. And they were phenomenal. Comics. I remember he was amazingly prolific too. Yes. Yes. I had like long runs of Punisher and other things that I didn't read as much of, but I don't know. He was good and smart. He was, it was, he wrote very quick action-y comics that still had lots of character in them. Interesting. He was able to like write a comic where it's like, oh, this whole issue is Nightwing running from Scarecrow, but like, you're still getting like a look at this character. It isn't just the action. It's like, oh yeah. The point of this is like Nightwing is hard to scare. Yeah. Because he is an acrobat who's been a superhero since he was 13. Yeah. Uh, and it's like things like that would happen. Or he would like team up Nightwing and other Robins and like explore how their relationships were different. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting too. Okay. Here's one from Joshua DeRosier, I think, from October 28th. This is an old one. I just completed a month-long binge of 157 episodes of this podcast. I typically listen while I work. After listening to the JM... And Dematteis episode, I couldn't help but laugh at how carefully, which I just did, you pronounced his name to avoid mispronunciation. I find that in comics, it is common for fans to have varying pronunciation for names of characters, creators, or common terms used in books. This is likely due to us only ever seeing these names and terms in print as young readers. Now these terms and names are being commonplace because of movies and games. Are there any names or terms that you pronounced one way for years only to find out you were completely off the mark? Well, uh, Dan Klaus, a lot of names. Dan Klaus used to say Dan Close. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was Neil Gaiman or Neil Gaiman forever. A lot, lot of character names. I, uh, Jam uh, Dematteis, I said Dematis forever. Yeah, forever, yeah. So a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of creator names for sure. I don't remember what Yeah, Busick, I used to always say Busaic, but I think it's Busick. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure. There's characters too. Like uh, I, I'm still to the point where like sometimes I hear Dark Side, sometimes you hear Dark Seed. Yeah, I've always thought it was Dark Side. Magneto, Magneto, right? Was one I would hear sometimes. So I always thought it was Magneto. And I think that's what it is. Never. Sometimes I'm not sure what to do with apostrophes. Like she are. Like 
I'm not sure what to do with the apostrophe in that name. The yeah, X-Men alien. Also the big one, uh, Rachel Ghoul is either Raz al Ghul or Rachel Ghoul. I still don't know. Yeah. I've heard both in media movies yeah. and cartoons have pronounced it differently. Yeah. So I don't know what that is supposed to be. It's Spider, it's Spider-Man. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I always thought it was spitteditor man. Yeah, spitteditor. Yeah, that's what I've always said. Yeah, there definitely are. I find it more now with like fantasy books. I'm watching the Wheel of Time TV show. Yeah, and they say names. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to pronounce any of these people. These because fantasy names are always so crazy as it is. Right. Good point. We don't have an answer. Yeah, pronunciation is hard. <laughs> Thanks for all the emails, guys. We still got a few good ones here that I still haven't gotten to, and I apologize. We'll get to it next episode. Um, Maybe we'll do a mailbag and mailbag episode if we have to, to catch up. <laughs> nah. Okay. <laughs> so um, we might have a couple weeks off and then we'll, we'll see you guys. Yeah. The holidays soon. are coming up. So we'll probably stop till after that. Right. Yeah. So and we'll see you in the new year. The Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. You've heard of it? No, I can't wait to read it. Right, it's good. It's pretty good. It stars a character named uh, Batman. Batman. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, see you next episode. Bye everyone. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer Riley Bray, we make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with drills for hands or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Collectors Club, you're You're here here to to believe believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? Campfire.